Hello, welcome to The Game is About Glory. Oh, mate. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Ricky and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hello. <laughs> Evening, Steph. Hello. Sorry, I'm giggling because I was just uh, spraying a little bit of some essential oil in the room. Um, Milo's just looking at me, like, shaking his head like, I just don't. And and I, I, I don't blame him. Anyway, chaps, let's get this on course, shall we? It was a Friday night special as we found ourselves at our second game this week at a hostile Selhurst Park. The stakes were high. The pressure was on. In the end, what pressure, right? Mm. I, actually, I, I say this. This is my big soliloquy. Ricky and he's just buggered off. I think yeah, I, I think I think my essential oil. <laughs> he's had an emergency. If I look at it. He's off. <laughs> he's having an emergency. Why am I doing a pod with a man who sprays essential oil before he sits down to he, talk he, about Tottenham he's, Hotspur? He's not as zen out as you, Steph. You see. <laughs> I think he's hoping that we'll reset, but I've actually done nothing of the sort. But let me reset now. <laughs> I just realised that I didn't have my pen and paper. <laughs> my pen and paper, so I can make a note of all the fluffed lines. Uh, what, all the things, all the things you want to cut out. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I have a little. I have a little running order here, and uh, you know, all right, Steph waffle delete and. <laughs> Um, Fluffy talk, get rid of that. Yeah, mobile mobile phone goes off. Said said something nice about Pochettino, that's going. You know, that kind of stuff, basically. So, you know. It's very funny you bring that up, actually. I've I've, I've come to... No, we'll go there later. Let me me continue my soliloquy, because I was in the middle of a great one here before you toddled off to get your paper so as you can do your cheat notes for the edit. If you see me walking (laughs) off, just carry on, Steph. I did. It was great. Don't worry. (laughs) But anyway, the stakes were high. The pressure was on. And in the end, what pressure? Right, chaps? (laughs) Let's discuss... This 2-1 victory at Crystal Palace, which ensured we would remain at the top, regardless of other results following. But, you know, we were talking about this right before uh, we got on here. How has it been for you with us at the top of the league? Has it made it easier to sort of dismiss what's going on around us this season? Or has it made you a little more anxious about can we stay there? Or like, How are you feeling right now? Um I, I'm not particularly no I mean I'm just enjoying the ride so um yeah it's fine I, I, I'm not I'm not expecting us to be top of the league at the end of the season um but the longer longer we're there the you know the better chance there is of that happening and you know we were talking about before we came on air it looks like there might be five clubs that are kind of breaking away from from the pack which you know it's great to great to be in in, in that in that group um and that, that you know at the beginning of the season I would have been more than happy with that so yeah I'm I, not stressed by it at all I, I have heard people saying that that during the game when we're you know, it's going you know after the first half or whatever and you, we haven't scored thinking oh god you know we're going to drop points here and stuff and, and letting it get to them you know i just i just enjoy it because yeah you know it's been so fucking painful for the last four or five years but <laughs> you know it's these are the good times you know in a few years time we'll you know whatever happens this season in a few years time we'll look back on this and say do you remember the beginning of that season wasn't that a fucking ride and yeah, I think at the end of last season we were talking about you know what do we want? We want memories. Yeah, it's about football's about memories. It's about moments, and we've got loads and loads of moments at the moment. So yeah, enjoying them. I think that's brilliantly summed up, Milo. I think I'm uh, I think I'm with you in the buffet car there on this ride on the Ange train, <laughs> watching the delights on the big screen as we um, have a few uh, share a few drinks. Um, yeah, all of that. 
I think we have just come out of a period of like drifting. We're just drifting, weren't we? We weren't going anywhere. It wasn't particularly enjoyable. So in the early phases of this niceness that's come along, just wallow in it, just embrace it and don't be anxious about it. I don't think, I mean, I suppose, you know, come, you know, April, May, if we're still in there, you just get naturally anxious because obviously we're near a finish line. But um, hopefully aiming kind of, uh, aiming, well, going in the direction we are. And if we're, you know, if we're going for bigger things, then even the consolation prizes will be satisfactory, won't they? So. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both of you wholeheartedly. And I think what is, but what's alarmed me the most about my behaviour this season is how little regard I have for the teams around us in terms of oh, what are they doing what's their score going to be or so on and so forth and it just is is becoming increasingly irrelevant to me because as long as we keep on playing the way we're playing and obviously as long as we keep on winning there is nowhere else to look <laughs> we're not looking above us and whether that lasts or not as as you both said it, I don't know and I don't really care it's it's happening right now and it's a lot of fun I was saying the other thing I thought the question you're going to ask was about playing on a Friday night and how did that feel and mm. it means that my whole of my weekend has been wonderfully re- relaxing you know we've, we've got the points on the board no one can go ab- above us you know it means I could really enjoy watching Brentford <laughs> beat Chelsea uh, yesterday and unfortunately you know some of the other results that you know you, you, you keeping an eye on haven't gone the way I would have wanted but you know it doesn't matter we're still top so yeah it's all yeah. fine I, I yeah it's um mm. very 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 relaxing uh, getting yeah, the points I mean, on the board I mean, and not having to stress about it. I mean, after Friday night, uh, looking at that table, that five points looked massive, didn't it? You thought, oh my God, we like, yeah, feel yeah. a little bit clear of them here. But, um, yeah. you know, well, and you know. with no worries about what was to come with the other games, you can just watch and hope. And that's it. It's, it's, it, it's, it's worry-free right now because we are continuing to learn on the job. I think uh, this victory at Crystal Palace was yet another stage of that learning as you go. Um, and we're going to get into that, obviously, in the next 50 minutes or so, however long it takes for us to wax lyrical about what we're seeing. But uh, let's start, as we always do, by looking at the team selection. And there was uh, one, one pretty big forced change. Um, who, wants to, who wants to take that one on? Well, yeah, there were two changes in the, in the starting lineup. So Ben Davis came in for Udogi, and Basuma was back for Hoybier after his uh, one-match suspension. And yeah. that kind of pre- pre-kickoff, I was thinking, well, you know, if, if we want to have a look at Davis in this form- formation in this team, this is probably the opponent to do it against. You know, I was expecting Palace to sit back and us to have a lot of the ball, and that's how it turned out. And yeah, so kind of pre-kickoff, I thought, eh, okay. Yeah, it's probably not the worst time to try, be trying this. Yep, and um, the only other the only other um, addition was uh, one beautiful hairy faced man on the bench. Yeah, Mr. Bentoncourt, yeah. which was yeah, which we will surprise and which delight. we will absolutely be getting into soon. Trust me, we're going to spend a good five to ten minutes getting warm and fuzzy about the uh, fuzzy faced uh, wonder boy. Actually, looks a bit like you. You've Does got he? a bit of the facial fuzz like him. Oh, maybe, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I it's don't not, know. Have you been... <laughs> it's not as big as Benton. When he came back into training, yeah, was it was really full on, wasn't it? Full and on, it was. I, I, there were snacks was gonna, in that I, thing. Full on yeah. passed away, wasn't he? <laughs> bits, of, bits of last night's dinner in there, no doubt. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no one, of, one, of my, one of my friends on Twitter, um, and, and Blue Sky now, uh, Coco, uh, that she and I have been talking about which Spurs player we think is most likely to get a mullet. And we were really, really hoping. Oh, he's definitely. We were really hoping that he was going to come back with a mullet. And it's it's just off. It's it's mm. a centimetre or two off. It's it's at, at the what? at the collar. It, you know, I think someone's really got to do a, a full-on tribute to, to Angie's 
playing days and, and just go the full hog. Yeah, the full the full the full way there. So yeah, you know, have we got into this before? You know, I did do a story once for the Spurs magazine. On you Spurs did. You have mentioned this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. I've mentioned it before. So this it, hairstyle it, 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 in particular, <laughs> this Bentoncourt hairstyle in particular, is uh, I think uh, harking back to the Metallica mullet of the late eighties because uh, he's got the shaved sides going a little bit there, hasn't he? And he's just about to graduate over the collar at the back so it's definitely it's got a bit of the Hetfields uh 80, 89 there for me uh and, and it look good and, though it looks good Steph, oh he looks great expert. he looks great i wish yeah. i could carry that off it looks tremendous better yeah, than it ben, looks really better good. than ben white's yeah it looks better than that i i, I sorry i i is he that's arsenal's ben white yeah. Do you know i've watched 10 minutes of arsenal all season i'm not just saying that to be to be to pr- strut my stuff i'm I, glad I just, you didn't say that during the pod where we where we spoke about our game against them well quite <laughs> yes no i mean the bar the game we played against them i should cl- clarify that uh eagle-eared as you are but being actually it's interesting you say eagle-eared one of the things i wanted to ask you both about and particularly with the dogie was i f- i was trying to figure out if that was a forced change or if that was uh yeah, a, spoke, a, a, a move yeah. Or if that was a move by Ange to rest him. I didn't know which no, it was. No, he spoke about this in the pre-match presser and he spoke about it after the um, Fulham game as well. He took a knock in the Fulham game and was forced off. And um, he trained, I think it was on Thursday, and he, it said that, you know, you have to monitor have to monitor him after training and see how he responds yeah. to it. And it's just, yeah, it's just an injury, just a slight knock he picked up. Yeah, I think already, though, what we're seeing is the difference in this manager to trust his entire squad versus shove a player out who may be 80% fit, who has been uh, really, really important to the team. And I think that, you know, by not doing that to Odogi and players like that, you're, you're really, it's, it's both smart and it's also, again, this manager showing that, you know, if you're in my squad and you're training and you're, you're, you know, you're selected for the, for the bench or whatever, you know, you, I trust you. And it's, it's a great thing to see. So, yeah, uh, let's, uh, well, as you've said here, Milo, in these notes, to talk about the game in any detail, we probably need to start our match discussion uh, with, with how did Palace set up? Because that was uh, a great dictator of how this went. Mm. Um, the question is, was it effective, uh, I guess, you know, in terms of what Palace are trying to do to us and how did we do against it in the first half? Um, it, it felt, I mean, I'll, I'll kick this off by saying it felt very much like a continuation of the last game we played on well, Monday, in a way. I think I think the last three games, you know, Luton, yeah. Fulham and, and this were all very, very similar in in how the, how, yeah, how our opponents approached it. So, I mean, yeah, Palace were very, very well drilled, I thought. Yeah, really like, super organised, defended in numbers, quick to close us down. Um, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't really take that extra touch needed around the box. There was always someone on top of us like, closing it down. There was lots of kind of tap tackles, weren't there, on ankles and uh, and legs when we were trying to trying to work the ball. I th- I thought the ref had a, a really poor half and, and let them get away with it and just frustrate yeah. us and not let us get into Terrible. the game. They defended narrow, gave us you know so forcing us out wide and just generally kind of smothered. And then the opposite of that you know they're playing on the break um, and. Yeah, it was. I thought in the first half, I thought it, you know, it was pretty success, successful. Yeah, we, we had loads and loads of the ball, but didn't create too many clear cut chances. And they caught us a couple of times on the break. And I think, you know, it's the luxury of having uh, Van de Ven, isn't he? You know, he's a cheap mode player because he just he's got the pace to catch up with anyone and, and hoover it all up. So, yeah, I, th- I thought they 
I thought from their point of view, they must have been pretty pleased at halftime. Um, but it wasn't pretty. No, I think I think you expect this from Roy. Really, he's he's, he's a master at setting up teams. He knows how to uh, drill a team defensively. Uh, it'd be interesting to know whether they were more set up like that because their two best players weren't playing in attacking sense. Whether that would have mean they would have been more open, or whether they would have just still played the same way but had more attacking potential. I think. Um, uh, they, they, but it wasn't like they they didn't attack. They had a various series of corners. They had a couple of warning shots early on from us. Uh, yeah, I think their treatment of us was bad. I mean, you say ankle taps; they both look like these rakes to me from Hughes. And terrible. A blatant barge straight into Romero was one. I of them. mean, and yeah, and then Van der Ven just got his kick on the knee. Shots. Yeah, yeah. Well, and. Yeah. I don't know what the ref was doing, to be honest. I th- I, well, I'm all for letting the game flow, but you've got to draw the line somewhere, it, really. I, I think two two things to what you've said. Number one, I think that probably the worst thing that could happen to us in terms of Palace coming into this game was the absolute hammering they got up at Newcastle because you could tell that their sole intention in the first half was to be defensively sound. They were not going to concede. They were going to do everything they could to disrupt the play. They were going to do everything they could to, could to disrupt us. I'm with you, Ricky. Uh, well, and, and, and you, Molly, you meant, we all mentioned it. I, I thought they were the dirtiest side I've seen, uh, we've played this season, and I thought the referee's complete lack of protection, and I mean complete. I mean, that was a complete blanket. I mean, there were at least three yellow cards to be had in the first 20 minutes. He didn't even give a sniff. And I think, I thought we started to get a tiny bit intimidated by that in terms of trying things, like usually those spin and maybe like push push something. But you're thinking, well, if I'm just going to get whacked and nothing's going to get given, I'm going to be a little more conservative. You, and you, you, it, end up, you end up anticipating the challenge, don't you? Yes. And that's, I mean, funny enough, that's what I was saying. I thought Basuma did um against Luton in a way you know expecting a challenge yeah. you know of course he threw himself to the floor but yeah I, I think you're yeah. right you know I think Madison particularly was getting some pretty harsh treatment Awful. when we got into those wide areas and Terrible. um yeah just couldn't couldn't get the ball under control and and the and the, the Achilles things that you know <clears throat> we've all played football Ricky you still go and, and play at a pretty high level once a year I mean that that those are not those are not happenstance that's like leave it in leave one in there and make sure it hurts and make sure they know uh, especially on Van der Ven, who you know is going to out-sprint you. I mean, I, I thought it was appalling, actually, and they were really disappointed in, in, in that setup, really disappointed in, in the way that the, the referee failed to get a grip. I mean, it does make me wonder how pre-planned it is as well, because the certain players they were doing were one, uh, like Van der Ven's obviously yeah. a masterstroke of a player for us at the moment, yeah. and the same with Madison and that kind of thing. The thing that slightly disappoints me is, and I know people say there's not much mileage in this, but we don't seem to be giving it to the ref much around this kind of situation. And I think we should just be more vocal towards him and sort of just pressurise him to sort of maybe rethink rethink his attitude towards, you know, what he's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, it was mainly, wasn't it, it was the, um, the ref. I, I, this yeah. is where we need Gareth on the pod because I, I, he refereed a game for, for us last season where he had a shocker. I can't remember for the life of me which game it was, but I remember us talking about it um, yeah. on here afterwards. Yeah, I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. So I mean I think I think it's fair to say that that first half um you know we saw we did see a great Vicario save early on I mean which yeah. you know and, and you can just see what an absolute presence he is for everyone at the back and I thought in the end we probably did quite well to hang in and get to half time because it was a new challenge for us wasn't it it's that challenge where hang on we're the team that plays football here we we know we're going to get kicked we know we're going to get but hang on the the officials are giving us absolutely no protection. So how do we deal with this? And I thought that was a new a new lesson for us actually. That first forty five minutes, in that sense, 
I, I think it's been very similar the, the previous two games as well. I think, you know, this little run of games, um, uh, yeah, I think they've all been very similar in terms of opponents. So, yeah, after this, we've got, a, you know, we've got a run of games against better teams. Um, so, so we, we won't have, we won't have this, the same kind of thing for a while. I think maybe it's the early stages of, I mean, obviously every team's looked at all our previous games and maybe this kind of tactic they're using is their first kind of effort of um, how to combat us. I mean, they're trying to just, they're letting our centre-halves have it and just trying to then play, trying to attack that first ball once we've played it out. And um, it's not necessarily working for them because obviously the results keep going our way, but it does make life a little bit tough for us, I think. And we're just still, and as you say, we're only, what, 10 games in. So it's it's, it's all a learning curve. It's all yeah, just to just to clarify, I agree with you both. This is not new necessarily to what we face this season, but I think the challenge in that first 45 minutes at Palace was that the officials, who you expect to do their job and possibly protect you a little bit more from that sort of treatment, simply didn't show up at all. And I mean, again, I don't think I can remember a game where there have been that many yellow cards, uh, potentially, and even an orange or two, that absolutely nothing was given. It was just look at and you know get on with it. I mean, and I think that that was something that we really had to navigate, especially for the last 20 minutes when you realise, Jesus, we're not... <laughs> what it, They've got free licence to do whatever they want. And that's what it felt like for me watching it. So God knows what it was like to play in it. Um, anyway. Um, so Ben Davies got subbed off for Emerson Royale at half-time. Um, but, you know, let's speculate on why we think that that happened and, and what did we think of Emerson's performance? So... AO, I think, had the better of Davis a couple of times in the first half. He outmuscled him. I also thought Davis was a, a bit passive in the first half. Um, so I rewatched, I've rewatched the game today and specifically to look at that and a couple of other points. And yeah, I, I think AO was just being, you know, a lot more, a lot more physical and Davis couldn't really compete with it. So I think, you know, he was brought off for a more physical player. And I thought I thought Royal was a lot better than he was against Fulham. I thought he had a pretty good yeah. half. I thought he played yeah. pretty well. Um, you know, he's not Udogi, we know that. But the job he was you know, brought on to do, I thought he did pretty well. And yeah, yeah I, 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 yeah, big improvement on his performance against Fulham. Um, I think, uh, I, I wouldn't be so sure. I think if you look after 40 minutes, there is, you see a thing with Davis where he's like doing that twiddling the finger thing, as in, as though he's indicating he might need to come off if you have, if you rewatch it. And then I think after that, if you look at him, he does seem to sort of not be running on that leg that well. I mean, I don't know if they've mentioned afterwards where, because obviously he came with an injury from training, didn't he, that he's come back from. That's right. It was uh, a heavy challenge. It was a heavy challenge before, uh, day before the Fulham game. He took a whack. Yeah. I think that's what, yeah, and just because I think he's saying that the training is pretty much full on, close to the yeah. edge, and these things can happen in training. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's something worth looking at. Uh, but Emerson, no, Emerson done well, I think. He, yeah, he definitely done better than Fulham. Um, he's he obviously not going to be as comfortable on that right on that left hand side. But um, he's, he's 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 the thing I like about Emerson is he's got a lot of confidence in himself. Yes. Which is, just, which is really, really a great attribute to have, especially, I mean, obviously from where he's come from the last, since he's joined us, it's, it's amazing to show that he must have good internal resilience and kind of, you know, can come back from adversity quite easy. You sort of trust him, don't you? I mean, yeah. maybe not necessarily to be the greatest like left, left back in the world, but you trust him to come in and give everything he's got and do a job. He really feels like he feels he's part of this squad and this team, which of course he is. But when you're not first choice, it's easier for your psychology to wonder and I think what I really enjoyed about his second half performance is he came in like he was a starter and he played like he was a starter and he is out of position. And, you know, that just is further proof of, of the spirit that 
that this squad's uh, that this squad has, right? So, I mean, I, I, mean, I was slightly disappointed with Davis. I, I mean, he might have not been fully fit from the off, so I'm not going to come down in too hard because I know he can he can definitely play along the ground passes quite accurately, and I've seen him when he's played us before do the underlap or the overlap and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I know the role's not completely that, but it's not like he's a stay at home fullback. He can mm-hmm. he can definitely advance and happen and uh, help in attacking areas, and he didn't really do too much of that. I wonder if he's got a little bit of uh, PTSD from previous seasons and he's just not used to the fact that we have an insurance policy, well, double insurance policy, if you consider Vicario as much faster off his line. And also, of course, Mickey's just like, I mean, lightning. Maybe he's got a little bit of that. I don't trust it, but it's like, you're all right, mate. You can. (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't think it's that. But I I do think that, you know, obviously he's not as quick as the others. And I think it was on on Monday night, weren't we? We were talking about, you know, the pace of Porro and the doggy to get back. You know, they're fully up field and and the speed they get back at and you know davis doesn't have those that kind of engine on him he doesn't have that kind of pace so yeah that's going to be a consideration yeah how far up the pitch can he go and get back and cover something absolutely i think what's interesting there is and maybe we're seeing the true difference in mentality between some you know the older guard and and this new guard is that the old guard are still they've still got some of the baked in uh patterns from before where you know they're you know and it's it's probably a little harder to trust because your instincts tell you i have to cover but there are times where we've had our fullbacks up so high and and you know they have been covered by Van der Ven, uh, and and it's just they're a... back, but they're back in time as well. I don't, I really don't think it's, I don't think it's a hangover from previous seasons. I just don't think he's, he hasn't got that kind of speed, that kind of pace to get back and cover it. Twenty nine, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit harsh. <laughs> I suppose he's just also just kind of easing himself in because he's not had that many minutes really. So um, you know, anyone yeah, new absolutely. to the system is literally that new, aren't they? So I think yeah. so. I think it's got a lot to do with it. And again, he's got tools around him that are like uh, uh, well, players around him that are just like wow, haven't had those for a while. But all right, let's look at the. Uh, why don't we look at the first goal? Um, it, it's come from one of those. Uh, it's a, you know, it's another hard deflection after a smashed in cross. People immediately said it was like Matip, Liverpool. Oh, it's another own goal, you know, fortunate, so on and so forth. I mean, look, if you get two goals like that in the matter of a, of a month, uh, is that just simply good luck or us creating our own good luck? I mean, I know what I think. Uh, what, do you t- what do you two think? I mean, I think you have to go back a little earlier than that. So it came from a, a throw-in where we'd, we'd pressed... Uh, Palace in order to win it so that starting mm-hmm. off Richarlison closes off Ward and forces him to play back Madison presses Johnson really really hard and forces him to you know, pass out a play and um, I think off Gay and um, yeah forces the, the throw in and then it's uh, Porro to Saar Saar to Romero Romero to Porro back to Saar then you know crosses in you know, passes it back to Madison and Madison plays the ball across across the box and Ward puts it in and I think you, I think the reason I mentioned the pressing first is that we're creating pressure. We're we're pressing them. We're closing them down. Mm-hmm. We're forcing them into having to make decisions. And you know, with that constant pressure, that you know, all through the game, not allowing a team to settle means that you know these mistakes are going to happen. You know, if you look at our passes per defensive action in this game, it was four point thirteen last season. It would have been ten on top of that. You know, we're allowing them four passes before we close them down, but we put in a challenge. 
you know, that's that's it, it, this is going to happen when you're being pressed that relentlessly all the way through a game. And like Sonny said in the in the interview after the game, they're confident that they can play like this for a hundred minutes every game. Yeah, I think that's what Ange just said. He's the thing he's been most impressed with so far is that side of the game, isn't it? Basically, Hunt sort of pressing, pressing impact. Everyone understanding that everyone needs helping at some point on those you know in other words they understand situations they're reading situations and when they lose the ball they're after people really quickly and we're all seeing that and and to be honest it's one of the things fans love when you're at the game isn't it you just see people doing that but as i mean as regards to luck i mean the, the lucky thing with it with it was was that it was really poor from ward because he didn't need to go for it if he was a better defender he'd have known that I don't need to go for that because there's no one behind me. And that's where he's made the mistake. Yeah. But as regards to... I mean, Matip's thing was completely different because he it could be going to someone else quite easily. And as regards to fortune and luck, um, Romero did one against Arsenal. And I think, to be honest, I think Van der Ven's done a couple this season as well with own goals. Mm-hmm. So it's similar deflections to off. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm going to pick up on Milo's point because I certainly it was certainly a point I, I was going to make as well. I, I, I think... I think we're absolutely creating our own luck. And and you're right, Ward doesn't necessarily have to go for it, albeit Richarlison looks like he might be on the end of it. I'm not too sure if he would have got there if he'd have read the read the moment in time. But we are forcing people to panic because we're mm-hmm. coming in these waves. And, and and I think that that is creating, that's creating your own luck. And we've seen other teams do that to us over the years. I said, well, they got lucky deflection. You create, I mean, you do, I'm starting to see, you really do create your own luck with the way you play. I mean, it feels that way. Andrew made an interesting comment after the game where he said, I, I keep relating it to boxing to the guys. You're not always going to get a knockout in the first minute or the first round. You've got to keep moving the opposition. And I thought that was a really kind of interesting way of thinking about it. And you know, just before that, he said, you know, it's a tough place to come. It was never going to be easy. He always knew you know, it wasn't going to be an open game of football. And we spoke about it a, a few weeks ago you know, when we're saying that in the past, we've struggled to break down teams that sat deep. And we were talking about with under Pochettino, weren't we? We were playing it across the box, trying to mm. pull them out. And I'm jumping ahead of myself almost, but you know that being able to play back, being able to hold onto the ball, move it backwards and forwards, as well as side to side, trying to pull an opposition out, trying to create those right. spaces, is what yeah. what does this? Yeah. So let's 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 go right there because you know what Andrew said about it's not always a knockout. Sometimes you have to like kind of almost, I mean, almost rope a dope it in a way. Um, Victor cutie, cutie to Vic, Victor cutie, palace fans booing, uh, repeat, rinse, repeat. Um, you know, the, the question you've posed here, Milo is what did you make of us trying to draw them out of their mid block? Once we went a goal up, I'm just going to say fucking brilliant game management uh, for a start. That's my response. Chaps. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, the club that sang out today saying that uh, Romero recorded the most passes yeah. in a game ever since, since the Premier yeah, League game yeah. ever since they started cl- collating these stats. So yeah, I think it's a hun- had, 141 passes. He had more <laughs> passes than Palace's whole team, I think. That's right. Pal- pa- <laughs> pa- Palace, uh, Palace had 137 uh, passes yeah. between them. Romero had 141 on his own. Now, to be fair, I think a good 40 of those were probably backwards and forwards to yeah. for him and Vic during this kind of from that, the period did, about 50 minutes onwards. On one of those passing mats with the arrows is the arrows like absolutely massive. Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's um, so funny. <laughs> and actually, second most passes was uh, was Mickey. Who, uh, I think yeah. it's ninety six passes, but what only only ninety ninety nine percent pass completion from Mickey. Um, so 
Yeah, no, I agree with you, Steph. I, I think it was absolutely necessary because, you know, the point I was making before, if they're going to sit in their position, they'll go down. They've got to come yeah, and get, exactly, get yeah. to it. If they're <laughs> going to try and sit in, in a mid-block, not, you know, stifle us like they had in the first half, then they're going to, you know, we're going to risk them turning over the ball and attacking us. You know, we've got to create the space to attack. And if they want to try and get anything out of the game, they're going to have to come and get it at some point. And it's like, it, you know, it, it reminded me a bit, actually, what Deserby does at Brighton because he, he's, you know, similar in that, in that it's, I don't think it's like Conte, you know, when you say rope-a-dope, Steph, I, I kind of think of, you know, Conte or Mourinho with that, and I don't think it's the same tactic as them. I think it is more proactive. Um, and it is, it's, you know, if we were doing it from, from, you know, nil-nil at the beginning, that I'd feel more, that was more rope-a-dope. I don't think we are trying to do that. We are trying to control a game. It's, but it, it's trying to get, force them to, to break their shape and give us space. Which yeah, was, I which mean, was the, that was the ridiculous thing of it is that Palace is that we could have passed it around in that triangle forever and people would say, Oh, you're going to invite them on. But the thing was, we, they weren't coming on to us and it was just as though we could, no, and like, yeah. like Milo says, they're one nil down, two nil down. It's kind of like, well, if you don't come towards us, then we might just do this for the next no, it, like 30 minutes and the game will be over. What are you doing, was, Palace? It, it was, like it was brilliant game management. And uh, yeah, look, I mean, we can use the phrase as we want. I certainly did not mean it in the way of a Conte Mourinho. And I think that's pretty clear. Um, uh, you know, I meant at that passage of the game, we decided this is how we're going to control it and showed a maturity that continues to impress me uh, b- b- way beyond our collective years. Uh, th- th- this, this squad is should not be this mature at this age yet week after week they get thrown challenges and find new ways to deal with them and I just thought the game management here was magnificent and what confidence in yourselves and in your teammates to be able to do that I didn't I'm interested a side question were either of you at all anxious during that passage I was not no I was I was enjoying it I'm like this is only going to end one way Uh, they're going to finally snap and we're going to fucking do them to be fair I mean, your Palace weren't much more involved in the game than I was at that point, you know, kind of sitting there watching them pass it backwards and forwards. So, no, I, I, I'm not worried about an opponent when you've got the ball and they they don't want to come and get it. Um, and, weird. you know, the, the fact is that it worked because our second goal came from a move like that. You know, the second goal is Vic to Kuti, Kuti back to, to Van der Ven, Van der Ven back to Kuti, Kuti back to Vic, back to Kuti. Hoybier, Porro, Saar, Johnson, Madison, Johnson, Son, goal. And, you know, it's, it's back, you know, you know, it's, it's that pulling them around. And obviously, you know, the, the Saar crossfield ball opens it all up and, and, you know, creates that chance. But we, we pulled them forwards in order to create the space to attack. And that's, you know, that's, yeah, of course it's the right tactic. It works. Let's get into that second goal. You've already talked us through it. Um, uh, Ricky, uh, you know, uh, look, I have my own things that I want to highlight with that, but why don't you talk a little bit about it? Because I'm sure you've got some observations to make. I just think we're showing unbelievable braveness in just, even when we're down by the touchline or down in the corner or just playing first-time triangle passes around the other, you know, around the team, little round-the-corner passes. And it's almost as though we're just confident that we're all going to be there. And it's almost like, I bet you, I bet you all we're doing is translating what you see sometimes in training gown when, when you're seeing training and they do all this passing and they can do it then and it's almost like well you can just do that on a Saturday or a Sunday you know you don't need to be fearful of it when so many other times when we, we've played in a more negative way it's just so belies what they're doing on a, on a daily basis in training but 
Um, the player I'd like to highlight in that move was Salo, who was actually yes. was my man of the match. Nice. For, for someone that was fatigued on Monday, I think they must have had him plugged into a battery charger for the last two, three days because his energy levels for the whole game Love him. was just immense. And I, I, and for someone so young, and to then take on that first-time ball just to like really open oh. the game out was, was, was immense. Fantastic. That, that's what I really liked about it. And the bits after that with Johnson's first-time header, then going, then reading the- it with Madison to give and go. It's just perfection. Johnson's dynamism in that moment twice to actually put that header, I thought, was was really, really smart and, and, and really well played and, and not an instinctive move necessarily no, for most it kept players. kept the motion going, didn't it? That kept the motion going. And then, and then he's there in the pocket again to take it. Just, you know, you see the symmetry and poetry in this side. And when it's clicking like that, you just think this, this team is completely unbeatable. I mean, I just, that goal was like, this team is unbeatable at this moment. I mean, Johnson's another player who was markedly better than he was against yes. Fulham. I thought he was, he was pretty poor against Fulham. But, um, you know, you think this is third or fourth game? You know, he got injured against um, yeah. against Arsenal and, um, yeah, hadn't featured since. And, you know, or, you know until, the, you know, until till the Fulham game. Um, so, you know, he's not going to have that relationship with the other players so to be able to do that instinctive move as you know you rightly said Ricky with Madison when they won't have played together much and it was just such a smart run he had another one where he, he headed back across the box a little bit later on which there was no one there to collect but I thought he was really smart um yeah really impressive and yeah no you're right about Sar. and I think again with the Fulham game I was saying I'd said that I'd hoped that we'd play long balls out to the wings a bit more and in this game Hoybier was doing more of what I'd hoped he would do against Fulham because he was picking out um uh Johnson particularly on on the left wing and obviously that Sar ball as well um if a play if a team is sitting deep and you're trying to get in behind then quick balls out to the out to the wings and and, and get those moves going is key to tr- trying to you know, create chances Certainly helps when you've got Johnson out there, doesn't it? Because he's so dynamic. Um, I, I have to say as well, we should talk. Uh, I think if before we get on to um, the great bearded uh, god that we will be discussing, uh, I think this is once again another um, triumph for Pierre. Uh, you know, again, we have to remember this is a player who's been an ever present uh, virtually for the last three seasons. He's not anymore. He's coming in and doing a, a great job. He did another great job, I thought. Uh, on Friday night, and I, I've just to posit this question to both of you. I, I do wonder if he we hold on to him until the summer because to buy someone who can fit into what's going on right now and, and be an upgrade for a reasonable price seems virtually impossible in the market. And I mean, I, I think if we can convince him to stay and be a part of this until the summer, I'd be I'd be perfectly happy with that. How about either of you? I yeah. think that definitely happens. There's no way you know, given that Basuma and Sarah are off in you know, late January. Um, for three or four games to to Afcon, there's no way we can sign a midfielder, get them settled in and, and playing um, that well in time for those those games. And um, frankly, I don't think Hoybier is going to have any choice in it because I think we'll just refuse to sell him right. and and we'll hold on to him till the summer. And I think that's fine. I think that's fine. Yes. He, yeah. yeah, he's playing really well. He's going to get games. Uh, I thought I thought his performance when he came on against Palace again I think was probably better than he played against Fulham and I thought he had a decent game against Fulham yeah. um I thought Basuma had, he'd got caught in possession just before that he appeared to be you know tiring a bit or you know just a little bit off the pace and again I thought it was really really sharp um management it, it and yes, it's been so good I with agree. his subs 
been so good with his subs all season. You know, he made a, made, makes a sub at half time. Either he, you know, Davis got a knock or he's put, spotted an, an issue there. And then, uh, you know, Hoybier is coming on on 60 minutes. Um, is, you know, hyper aggressive in terms of his use of subs. And, you know, we, we're talking on, you know, Monday night, weren't we, about the players that were brought off there in order to keep them fresh. The result for, of that was that Sonny played for 90 minutes. I think it's only the third time he's played 90 minutes this season. So, you know, it, it's, it's, it's worked. Yeah, I must admit, I thought, um, considering he was only out for one game, I thought Basuma was a little bit rusty in this game. He wasn't, you know, his yeah. dynamic self. But um, but regardless, um, I think I agree with all that with my life. I'm definitely leaning towards Hoi. The good thing about Hoiberg is he is a consistent player and he, he won't go missing. And if we need someone, as we say, if we, if we wanted to even, even if something was lined up to swap him in January with someone, I think at the moment that's just a bit too... I think you know what you're going to get for the six months into the, all the way up to the summer from Hoiberg. And I just think with the African Cup of Nations, we just need someone that knows the drills, knows what they're doing, and will keep us ticking along in that period. And I think even if someone said, oh, yeah, you, it's, we've got a buyer for Hoiberg, do you want Gallagher for, or something like that? Not that that's going to happen, but as an example, I just I just don't think I would. I think I'll stick. No. I'm not going to, I wouldn't twist on this one, I don't think. I agree. And I think that once again, this is a, a tremendous um, uh, nod to, to Hoiberg himself. I mean, no one should doubt a player's professionalism, but you do wonder sometimes as someone who was such a strong part of a previous you know, era, whether they're going to be able to, 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 to up the levels when they're not necessarily involved every week. And he has been bringing his his full a game each each time so uh delightful to see really good i think the other thing just to bear in mind with january you know even if we brought a player in and i I think we should be looking to bring in a um a six in january um you know partly as a you know an eye to being hoibier's successor for next season get them in now if we can to you know they've got six months to settle and then they're ready for next season but without basuma hoibier is the only natural player we've got for that role within this current squad and so we're a Hoybier injury away from square pegs in round holes and you know, that ability to receive the ball under pressure with your back to play turn and, and and bring it out the others don't really have that and so yeah I, I think I think it's essential that we keep him and yeah ideally I'd be looking to to bring in another player in that position so we've got some cover and you know, longer-term succession planning. And isn't it, as you, uh, just to round off your point on substitutions, because I think it's a well-made point, is uh, it's so nice to see a manager that is proactive and not reactive. Like, he, he, he as, you, as you said, you know, Bissouma was slightly off. For whatever reason, it happens uh, in this game. And he sort of got a slight tweak of it. And he's like, well, I'm just going to take care of it now. I'm not going to, like, give it another 10 minutes. I'm just going to be decisive and I'm going to make the move. And as you as you said, all his substitutions are like that. And uh, I, I, frankly, I'm, I'm not really used to that. It's he, been he a uses few the, years. He uses the full bench as well, which we haven't really seen yeah. before. So, you know, we, we're seeing five subs. You know, maybe this week is a bit more extreme because we've had the two games you know, relatively close together, which we're not going to have too much this season. But, he, you know, he's making full use of it. And I think actually... You know, with you know, we're going to go on and talk about Benton Kerr, aren't we? But with Benton Kerr and Hill coming on uh, on 88 minutes, so they got I don't know what 10 minutes when you've got the added time now. Um, that's really useful because they both had you know been out for a long time, and just trying to build that match sharpness at that point is going to be really useful for them. 
Yeah. Uh, before we do get on to Rodrigo, quick quick note here about Brendan Johnson. Has he done enough, do you think, to earn a starting place against Chelsea? Or do we I mean, I thought Richie you know, I thought Richie did a lot of work for us again. I mean he did a lot does a lot of unfashionable work and he is very good at that first time ball round the corner, isn't he? Several yeah. times we saw that in the first yeah. half and he's really good with that. Um so you know. I was going to mention that when when he came up, and I, and I, I saw people fo- like fixating on that. He got one that went through him, and he missed it. And people are fi- you know, fixating on that. But yeah, that ball from Van der Ven out to his feet, and then first time touch yeah. uh, through to Madison. I think Madison yeah. got two good chances in the first half coming from that ball. Um, yeah, yeah. The, so it's very closely the assist for the assist, isn't it? Yeah, really good uh, knockback header from the back post. Brilliant to Madison. Did, yeah. Absolutely brilliant that header. That was, yeah, great. I think we've got to be prepared for Pochettino trying to make that game into a battle. We've seen we've seen it when he was with us, and it might be it might be a, a, a grubby game. And in, if it's going to be a battle, I'd rather have Richie there. So I think I'd start Richie and then bring Johnson on later on. Yeah, I agree. Yep, he's an and- exciting prospect, Johnson. Though because I think the one other thing he gives us is more additional pace on top of Sunny's. Really, so oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, remember that? I think that goal. Do you remember the goal he scored in his first game that got disallowed? That's almost yeah. like what I'm imagining would be classic Johnson kind of attack and involvement yeah. in the attack. I wonder if we might see him through the middle when Sunny's off at the Asia that's Asia it. Cup. Oh, that's true, you've got to think about that. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I agree. We'll have to touch back on what you said about pop, uh, the the upcoming Chelsea game because that's fascinating. Uh, but <laughs> Rodrigo, um, we were discuss. I think we were discussing on air, weren't we? Just now, how wonderful his beard is. So it wasn't before we got recording. You all know what we thought of Rodrigo's beard. You all know what we think of Rodrigo as a player. We all know what you think of Rodrigo as a player. It was just a giant loving when he came on, right? And how how surprised were you to see him on the bench? First of I, all, and and I mean, I, I don't even know if it's fair to judge how he did. I, I mean, I was, you know, I was massively surprised to see him on the bench because I was thinking that we were going to be you know the two three weeks away from you know, a, you know being a sub, and then um, you know maybe a little bit longer after that, a few weeks after that, till he could start. Um, you know, he scored a, a nice goal in in training that was getting shared around. You know, the club had put out on their socials and stuff. Um, yeah, it's. It was a yeah a surprise. I thought he did okay when he came on. It's difficult to judge, isn't it, in that game state? Um, but yeah, he looked he, he looked mobile. There, there was no clangers there. That's that's enough, isn't it? I think after that, yeah, he's been out since February. That's enough. I think um, I think Ange might be the type of manager that likes to play down the injury recoveries. I think he's probably doing the same as Cess at the moment, just saying, look, there's absolutely no chance. And he might have been doing, I know he's been saying Benton Corr's been like, you know, knocking on his door all the time. And what might have helped him is the international break, because I think he could have probably got him involved in more full-on proper training, but with a kind of scaled-down squad, because lots of the players would have been away. So maybe the intensity is slightly dialed down a bit. Cause, I think you know, he's such a, yeah, I mean, he's such a smart manager. And look, I, I I, you know me. I, I I I like to wander away from the from from the evidence and speculate. I just look at him and how he manages our squad, how he manages the players, and 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 look, he doesn't do favors. We know this. You got to earn it. But the players earned it. I wonder if he knew five minutes in a situation where, you know, it's relatively comfortable. Well, it was when he came on. He's probably thinking this is going to reverberate so much good time vibe around the club. His teammates are going to be delighted to see him. Uh, It's going to give everyone a massive boost, not the least of which is the player himself. Um, 
I, I have to wonder if there was a bit of that in there. I, I don't think so. I think it's just about managing fitness and get, trying to get him sharp again. If, if he's well enough to be on the bench, if he's good enough to do 10 minutes, then it's about building those minutes up and getting him match ready. I mean, I mean the other luxury you've got is because is heading towards January and losing two midfielders, he can right. like, the way Sars playing, he can drip feed Benton in as much as he needs to now really manage those minutes as long as no one gets suspended or injured and that's a really nice kind of situation to be in because Benton is going to have to be up and fully firing come Christmas which yeah. probably will be at this rate. Well I was also noticed if I remember I if I remember the incredibly petulant and, and thoroughly annoying Jordan Ayew was off the pitch at that point and I remember looking at the Palace side and saying okay who's going to land one on his Achilles I was looking literally thinking one's going to come in on him to say welcome back to the Premier League and it, it thankfully didn't happen but hey, he wasn't off the pitch at that point because he, he wasn't scored. no because he scored <laughs> oh that's right yes he did good god I nearly forgot about that as well I didn't nearly I did forget about that so uh anyway well let's edit that that's down the, that's to the, the next annoying... that's the next question why don't we just <laughs> <laughs> why don't we just get away from my adult confusion here and uh yes well uh Palace got one back in added time uh okay Come on, let's just have it. What do we think of the decision to allow that goal? Um, I know, I know, Milo loves talking about the LVIR things. <laughs> I think, uh, I think on the video replays, I would give them a get out clause because I, I think if you're thinking the bad decisions been made there, I don't think the video, in other words, you wouldn't be hundred percent confident that that video showing me that. But from my own personal look at it. I think when that ball comes down off his chest, for it to sort of bounce the way it did, it's almost impossible that it then didn't hit something else. And I'm not talking about massive movements here, but if it comes down off the chest, it was just gone a bit more to his left when it didn't really. It just fell in front of him, which suggests to me it must have hit the hand, which on one of the video angles, it sort of did look like it hit his hand. But as a VR assistant, I might not hand on heart think, did it hit his hand, didn't it? I'm not 100% sure. So I couldn't, I couldn't get the you know ref to swap the decision around. What I mean, think? I, I think it hit his arm, um, but didn't they do what everyone's asking them to do with VAR and give the benefit of the doubt? And on none of those, on none of the replays, did you see the ball move away from the arm when it hit it? So I don't think there was anything there. There wasn't enough in the replays to to overturn it. But I'm pretty, I'm certain it, it hit his arm. But I don't think you, I don't well, think you could make that decision on the evidence. No, I don't. No, that's about what I'm saying. But I think it did. I think where it's come off his chest, the ball would have slightly gone somewhere else than where it did if it hadn't hit his arm. But then obviously that's still, you know, conjecture really. Isn't it? I, I think that's probably true. But what you don't see is it hit the arm and then bounce off it. Uh, you know, that's oh, that's probably yeah, what yeah. they would, that's what they would have been looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's very simple. I mean, look, uh, we got away with one a few weeks ago, a terrible decision uh, against Liverpool, which I think has been mentioned once or twice uh, this season. I'm not sure enough's been said about it. Um, and uh, I think this was another t- uh, another really poor decision. And I think VAR makes mistakes. I think it will continue to. Um, and uh, I, I, tr- I think this is a mistake. It's as simple as that. I think absolutely that touch changes the trajectory of the ball. If you play football, if you've ever played football, you will know that that touch has managed to put it in the perfect sweet spot for him to strike. I mean, it's a good finish, but that ball's not going to land where it does without touching his arm. So it's as simple as that for me. But, you know, I'm not going to... At the time, I was like, you know, you get what you get some and then you don't. And I was actually quite grateful that the decision came at that point because... It, you know, you look at this team and think we well, should still be able to close this game out, even though it's making it a little, a little hairier. 
Um, and uh, I'll, t- I'll take I'll take the decisions going against us that you know at that point rather than at more critical junctures of the season or indeed a ninety minute hundred minute. Game. Doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't. It work doesn't. Like that. I know you're go, right. They can both go against you. I I I, I think we all agree that it, it probably touched his arm, but I do think that there's nothing on the replay. What we're saying is that when we've played that, we know that it's rolled down the arm in order to yeah, control yeah. it, but there's nothing on the replay that shows that clearly, and they can't overturn it on that basis. Yeah, and died, yeah. you know. I think you know if 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 you see the ball move direction after it going off the arm, then that's when they're going to do it, and it doesn't do that. Well, okay, but I agree. I, 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 agree. I, have, I have agree. my viewpoint. Yeah, I no, have but, my viewpoint, and I'm but, not moving from it. So that's that's my viewpoint. I, I think we're I think we're agreeing, Steph. It's just that <laughs> yeah, I'm saying yeah, there isn't any evidence to support it, and they, they, therefore yeah. they can't they can't overturn it on the basis yeah. that we they think it probably did. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if it, yeah, whatever, it doesn't really matter. If it touches your arms, a handball, it's fine. It didn't cost us in the end. Um, I think it was interesting. Uh, Pedro's defending is probably the probably one of his rare gaffes, wasn't it? Really, the way he defended that as it came in, uh, he, he, he made up for it. Yeah, ten minutes later, though, yeah. he certainly did. He certainly yeah. did, and that was actually uh, the thing that I wanted to talk about. I mean, you know, the focus that the team showed, and once again. This is another one of those learning on the job moments, probably more for our supporters than the, than the club. I mean, I think we're so used to, oh, Christ, we're going to completely fuck this up now. Um, I, I, I didn't because I trust this side, um, but they really did just double down their efforts, didn't they? And made absolutely sure to see the game out. I, I think the other thing that really helped us is that in added time, Maidley remembered that he had some cards in his pocket and got them out. He did suddenly and, remember, didn't he? <laughs> it got a bit mad. Yeah. He was and, like, what was going on here? But I really think that helped us disrupt Palace's rhythm because they were up yeah. for it. And then there was the, uh, it was Anderson foul on Hill, wasn't it? Yeah. And then yeah. Ao got one uh, for taking out Saar, I think. Yeah. And so that little spate of cards, I think, just broke their momentum when they would have been full on. Uh, so were, it really it did us yeah. a favour in the end because they were just getting ahead of steam up, and then Palace once again a mind blowingly. I don't know what was going through their heads. Had those two fouls, and also they had an offside, didn't they, from like a free kick where a bloke was That's just right. Yeah. Was yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Roy's probably, you know, yeah. Roy on the bench. He's just like, you know, probably yeah. fuming. You know, he's probably yeah. seen it all in I, football, but he don't expect I, his team to. Be I like had a, that. I had a beer earlier this month with someone who went to school with Hodgson and introduced Hodgson to his wife. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. So it's a, a friend of my dad's, and yeah. talked about and. I mean, no big, no big secrets. Just he just said what a nice guy he was. They used to play, they used to play Sunday league together when they were kids, and or you know, played in school teams together and stuff like that. And um, yeah, just said what what a nice guy he was, and you know, talked a bit about yeah, young Roy, what he was like. And 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 how about Mrs. Hodgson? Did he say good things about Mrs. Hodgson? Is she a, a well, nice woman? Yeah. He said they're, they're a lovely pair. Yeah, great. And and yeah, and that's the thing with Roy Hodgson, isn't it? I mean, it's you no. Know, despite the fact I was actually kind of infuriated with Palace's first half performance and those Achilles stats, whatever. You know, you you look at Roy Hodgson, you you just can't dislike him. I mean, you just can't. He's impossible to dislike, and he was doing the very best he could with the tools uh, that that he that he had. I think. I, really. I thought Angie's comments in the pre-match presser when he was talking yeah. about how interesting his career was, his career trajectory, oh, and yeah. you know, I think we. Obviously, we talk spoken about that with Ange before, but people who take that kind of you know slightly unusual path, mm-hmm. you know, starting out in Sweden yeah. and you know all the clubs he's managed, and yeah, what a wonderful career, what a wonderful yeah. career. And I think you know people are a bit snidey about him in this country, aren't they? I think you know partly off the back of kind of England manager, and it didn't go so well at Liverpool. Um, yeah. But yeah, for a club like Palace, he's perfect. He's done he's done a great job there, and it is his club. 
isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is, yeah, yeah. That's his club. Yeah. I mean, he loves that club. I don't think it. I mean, we should remember he came out of retirement to stop to save them from getting relegated last season, and and has found himself uh, much to Mrs. Hodgson's chagrin, I would imagine, <laughs> deciding he's sticking around for more. Uh, that's that's passion old... and, and and investment, you know. Yeah, the enthusiasm never dies from him, does it? He's always no. he's, he just loves football through and through. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, closing thoughts: one positive and one negative. Uh, who wants to take it on first? I've got a positive. Go on. No yellow card for Biss, so he's okay for Chelsea. Mm. Another uh, reason why he might have come off on sixty minutes. Yes. Um, and the negative. I know you said you weren't looking at other sides, Steph, but Arsenal and City winning is a shame. It would have been nice to just open it up a bit more, but there you go. That was, yeah, that was actually my negative because there isn't many negatives in this world at the moment with um, regards to Tottenham. But um, yeah, our opponents not slipping up, um, you know, our direct rivals because I presume we're discounting Chelsea and Man U as direct rivals these days. So, um, but yeah, it's just that it, no matter, even if we keep winning, it's still quite squashed up at the top of the league there. Um, my positive, I think, in this game is definitely Saar. Um, the sunshine just oozes out of him, really. From you know, he just absolutely loves playing the game, and the more games he plays for us, the better, I think. <laughs> Mini Sunny, that's what they call him. Mini Sunny. The, the, there yeah. was a moment where I think Sunny was upset that he couldn't get yeah, the ball yeah. right across to him. He couldn't. He just yeah. couldn't find the accuracy. He couldn't find the whip yeah. on the ball <laughs> to get it. And Sunny kind of screamed at him. And do you remember? They showed like 10, 15 seconds later, Sars just got his arms around Sonny from behind, giving him a cuddle. Yeah, and I just... <laughs> there was another one where um, he'd, he'd got clattered and Sonny's going to the ref, like, but waving his hands at him and then kind of turns around and points at Sar on the floor with his hands like going, they've hurt him. How can yeah, yeah, yeah. you do this to him? He's my baby, you know? <laughs> And that is actually leading into my my overriding positive is that the, the the group and what who they are and what they're becoming. You can see. I don't think I've seen a group growing together like this uh, for for well, for at least a couple of decades. It even makes the time under Poch a secondary. The the just the loving after there's a lot more the, the final there's a lot whistle. more cuddles and kisses than yeah. I've ever seen. Funny, my mum was staying, sorry to jump in on your point, Steph. Yeah, my mum was good. staying sorry. with me earlier this month. And we, we were watching, I was, with my stepdad, you know, who you've both met and, you know, as a Spurs fan, we were watching one game. I can't remember which one it was, but um, my mum was kind of reading a book while we were watching the football, but, you know, was in the living room with us. And she looked up and um, Cutie was kissing son on the head. She goes, what? She says, why is he Why is he kissing him? And I said, I, I told her, I said, well, you would, wouldn't you? You know, if, if you could, you would. I mean, <laughs> but this is this is, and I think it's all part of what we hear when when we t- we heard this week there was a story breaking about Ange. You know, it really gives these com- these sort of almost you know orations about just the de- de- decency and principle and 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 character and the, you know, and you can really see that he has built, a, a, I guess, a club at this point, let alone yeah. a squad that reflects some fantastic yeah. values and and the, the joy that they show and celebrating you know people go on about oh you only you, know, you won at crystal palace or you won here and you celebrate like you've won and he made them you know and made the comment about the lane being like a disco right which is a nightclub rather which is brilliant it is about enjoying the moment and and it's so all embracing and all encompassing it's the biggest positive I, I have in general right now is they, they look at this the benton core singing and the way mm. the players put him forward 
that's we're getting everything we asked for at the beginning of this season and frankly i wasn't sure we were going to get so well just to add what's what i've been wondering recently is whether Ange, when he's been kind of just roaming around the you know the training ground and those places whether he's i wonder if he's run into any of the old classic bill nick or danny blanchflower quotes because they're quite Mm. they're written up on the walls in a lot of places aren't they the whole um the game is the glory quote and uh, Mm. the fallacy thing from uh blanchflower and, and you know not not you just don't go out there and wait for the opposition to die kind of thing I wonder if he's read those quotes and it's resonated with him because he's really aligned with those quotes he, in other words, he the way he thinks about the game he said something this week which was very similar to the Echoes of Glory quote mm. and yeah, yeah I, I was I was thinking I was reading some of the things he said this week and thinking Bill Nick would have loved you yeah yeah. And it makes you wonder, well, because you don't know, I mean, a new man comes in, he doesn't know everything about the club. It just makes you wonder if he reads this or sees these things. Even if he just, because he's quite an inquisitive guy, I think. And, and he's, he's a student. Yeah. yeah. He loves I mean, football. Ali, Ali, Gold said, Ali Gold said he knows every player everywhere. Like, you talk to him, he knows everyone in every league all the way through. And, you know, he's spoken himself about, you know, his dad waking him up in the middle of the night to watch, you yeah. know, Premier League football and he's spoken about kind of Spurs cup runs and all this kind of stuff he he knows his stuff and I'm sure also he would have you know he did this at Celtic as well didn't he he would have studied he would have yeah he would yeah. have looked at the club's Absolutely. history and he'll be using that and I'm sure that he'll be giving us a little tickle with some of that stuff at the right point he'll throw it out there and I think I think what's unique about him as you know most modern managers is he understands what it is to be a fan yeah and most doesn't Most managers just. don't, you know, Steph, I mean, we've talked about this quite a lot, haven't we, Steph, about how be it like footballers are a bit like rock stars in that they, they, you know, they go into it very young. They live a cosseted lifestyle mm-hmm. where they're surrounded by people who tell them that they're right and they're wonderful all the time and they get everything they want. And then most of those people, you know, those players, the play, you know, the ex-pro players who go into management have come out of that and then, then into management. Ange hasn't had that, you know, he, he's, Worked in a league where they're not getting paid much. He, he's had to have jobs when he started out uh, as a coach. He's had this kind of, you know, this convoluted route to get here. He's had to work at it. And at the start of it all, you know, he, the reason he loves football is because it was his connection to his dad. He understands yeah. the game like we understand the game. And I don't think there's another manager in the Premier League, Roy Hodgson maybe being the only other one, who understands that, who understands what it is to be a fan. And we've said this before. I think I've said this before, but I'll make the point again. There is a humility about him that echoes the likes of Shankly. It echoes the likes of Paisley. It echoes the likes of, of Sir Alex Ferguson. Those are the people I think of when I listen to and see the way he operates. And you know what? He, he not just in the way he operates, but even what he says. This week, it was Milan Jedinak's uh, Names, turn yeah. to get... To, yep. to get name checked you know he's not shy to name check the help he's getting he's certainly not shy to include everyone and and that is just there's so much power in that it, there's so much power in a man who is that open uh and 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 i mean i think he's a humble guy you know and he, i think I and a pure and a purist, as you said, Milo. Those waking up and you know, football is about the connection with his dad. That you, you can't. That's not. You can't bullshit that. That's real, and it just doesn't exist very much anymore. He, he says himself. Yeah, he wants to play football that his dad wanted to would want to watch. Yeah. yeah. He loves that side of the game. He loves that part of the, you know, 
Decent. In other words, so many other managers treat it. They're so they're so kind of in that goldfish bowl of the professionalism of it and them doing their job and that. And he's just sort of much more outside that. And I love the way he's he just speaks simply and yes. he won't entertain some questions as well that are trying to dig at something because he'll quite <laughs> often start an answer with like, "Well, I've done about that, mate." You know what I mean? He'll start. Yeah. He'll just say, "Well, you know, it's almost as though I, I know you're trying to find something interesting here, but really, there's something not that interesting really to say about it, kind of thing." And he's just. <laughs> Well, that's that's what he does. He's just like, it's not really I should probably take a leaf from his book, actually, and try and not sense. make something interesting out of anything that's said ever. And he's, and he's trying, like you say, Steph, to make us just all live live in the moment and live in the present. And love that. that's never a bad thing. I fucking love that. I and love he makes that. it all look so easy. And yeah, this is phenomenally difficult. You think of people like, you know, bags of experience and stuff, bags of experience who, who just, you know, have crumbled at this club, fallen to pieces. And well, there's that just... great meme that's going around. Have you seen that? The 22nd meme of Conti's, it's a mm. clip from Conti's yeah. rant at Southampton where he's like, you know, nothing will ever change at this club. Oh, well. And then he pops up. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Correct. You know, in terms of just the way he relates to the players, the way he relates to fans, the way he talks about the game, you know, he's got that gift of making, you know, complex things seem really simple yeah. and, you know, and relating to people. Yeah. You know, it's no wonder that the team have got up and running so quickly because, you know, and he says himself, he's very prescriptive about he what, what he wants. You know, we, it, this isn't a free-for-all. Mm. He's very prescriptive about how he wants them to play and what he wants them to do and, you know, the, the moves we're taking and, you know, where people are running and everything is very, you know, he, he said himself in a, an interview, he said, described himself as being a puppet master. But I think he makes it sound, he talks about the game so simply that I think they take it on really easily. And I think, yeah, it's... Yeah, he's yeah. just he's just great. And yeah, I think because I, that ironically, that's such a brush of fresh air. It's almost called the it's almost like the, the, the media don't know how to process a person like that. And, it, and you sort of think of course it's they like don't. Ridic- he he's yeah, the it's anti- ridiculous that they don't because you just think it's someone who oh, he's speaks anti simply and everything like, they're he's anti everything they're about. They want to complicate things, they want to draw clickbait responses from managers, they want them jumping up and down, they want all that, and he's you, just not interested. You say, that, as, you say that though, I bet there's a bun fight going on between the broadcasters to get him as a pundit yeah. for the Euros in the summer because yeah, he's sure. a gift he's a gift and and he did say that he would like to do that and well before this becomes a, 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 a you know a two hour sort of and appreciation which frankly uh, number one we could have done for most pods this season and number two I don't think any of us would be against but just to bring it to a close I will name check once again well not name check I will people check uh the mother and son who I met on the roof of White Hart Lane this summer, Celtic supporters who looked at me and the lad looked at me and he said, oh, you've no idea what you've got coming. He's fucking brilliant. You were right, my friend. Via Liverpool. They came, they, they, Glasgow via Liverpool staying there long enough to pick up a scale. No, accent, I'm trying to actually <laughs> not overdo the accent because I don't want to offend anyone. It was actually much more like this. And he sort of said to me, he said, fucking hell, man. Oh, from Edinburgh. No idea what you've got coming. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, I carry on regardless of the chipping away of, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> anyway, um, so that, uh, that, well, that was the game. That's our Ange uh, tribute for this week. Uh, and now we should move to the week that was. Um, come on, someone should else I, come in and start I pick, reading. Should I pick this, this one up? You, I'll pick why don't you up. pick this up, please? So, we just wanted to talk briefly about some of the fixture changes. So, the Premier League 
announced the changes for our dates in uh, December and January earlier on this week. So in December, our home games against West Ham and Newcastle and our away matches against Forest and Brighton have been moved. Brighton games been moved from Boxing Day uh, means that our home fixture, I think, our home fixture against Bournemouth has been moved to Sunday the thirty first of December, but it's not going to be on TV in the UK. And then in addition to that, our game against Man U at Old Trafford in January will now take place on Sunday the fourteenth of January. Um, this means that. Our Everton game on the 23rd of December will be our first home Saturday game since Liverpool on the 30th of September. So we've gone, what, September, October, November, yeah, basically three months without a Saturday home game. And just as an aside, between the last international break and the next international break, we haven't got a home game at the weekend between those two sets of international fixtures. Our only weekend game in that, that run of games is Wolves away. And I just want want to kind of ask you both how you feel about it, you know, and kind of the impact on fans, because I think it's very hard for a lot of fans, you know, particularly if they live a fair way away from the stadium, to make, you know, Friday night games, Monday evening games, even Sunday games are difficult for some people because they've got to get up for work the next day and, you know, it could mean that they've got a long journey back and they're not back till late or, you know, tra- the transport isn't as good or, you know, whatever other reasons. And I just think that we're all getting fucked over a bit this season that pissed me off. <laughs> What do you think? <laughs> am I just getting angry over nothing, or am I right? Um, you're not getting angry over nothing because all those points that you make are valid. I think I think the problem we've got this year is, ironically, we would all be thinking, especially um, Gareth, he'll be hoping for like Saturday kickoffs, being not in Europe. But I think the the problem we found ourselves in is being the you know they're probably seeing us as the entertainers of the league, and that means because we're not doing a Wednesday or a Thursday European game, they can shift us all over the schedule, which yeah. obviously they've done this week and next week. I mean, I mean, in, in some ways it works out for us as a team, but it's not necessarily working out for us as a fan. Because um, especially with some of the kickoffs moving around, I think we were saying earlier, the West Ham game's 8.15, which when you're then adding on, or when the ref's adding on another 15 minutes these days to a game, as in, you know, first half, second half, um, it just pushes that clock further and further back. And um, yeah, it's I a mean, you, you're not going to be You're not going to be getting out of the stadium till gone 10 o'clock, are you? It's going to be no. you know, more like quarter past 10 by the time you're out. And if people are kind of rushing to get the last, last train home, that's a killer. Exactly. And no one should no one should have to go to a game and think they have to leave a bit early to get a train. I don't think that's you know that's almost slightly different. I mean, especially this season. I mean, there's a few games you could have left early this season and missed. You know, a great comeback. Uh, you know, if they were evening games. But um, uh, yeah. I but I think we were trying to we were discussing it before we came on. Just what the solution is with it, and it's very hard to find a solution because the, the the you know the Premier League are literally and most clubs largely funded by broadcasters so um uh how do you dictate to them when you know i suppose we're, we're asking for a bit of balance there so i think we suggested before and when the new regulator comes in maybe there's a there's there's some you know a conversation to have with them to try and implement something that balances it up slightly towards fans you know opinions and fans problems and fans you know being upset about these they're ge- genuine ups genuinely upset about these things they're just getting you know fans are just getting squeezed left and right whichever way you look at it they're getting squeezed on price they're getting squeezed on schedule they're get, sort of almost being treated with with relative disdain in the sense of well you're going to follow it anyway and you're going to do it and you know more than ever i see that's this right, reliance though. on we do don't we yes but as i'm saying more than ever i'm seeing that, that this reliance on the fact that you know football fans will do things that that no other uh you know followers of any other entertainment will do I mean, what astounds me is why clubs, I mean, even sponsors, why can't some of these sponsors like, you know, lay on like if you're in the away team, at the very least, make sure there's free transportation back from Manchester 
when when you have a late kickoff on a Sunday. Um, if it's the, if it's a, a team at home in London, why doesn't uh, you know, why don't the council figure out like put on some late trains? Make sure you have trains running a little later. Make sure there are some last minute trains to to your target you know your target fans um, areas. I just there's no interest at all in helping. And I mean, I know that's because the railways are private and we can get into all of that stuff, but the tube isn't. I mean, they could certainly do better. They could do much better. I, mean, I think, in, you know, we talk about what fans could do in Germany. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a cliche, isn't it, holding up German fans and the way German football operates. But they managed to get uh, Bundesliga Monday night games abandoned, I think, after one season through, through fan protests. But fans here aren't as militant, I don't think. And this has been chipped away at for decades now in terms yeah. of the scheduling. I agree with that. And, I, I, you know, I think everyone will just take it and because we're kind of used to the games being moved around for a TV audience but you know match going fans are at the point now really where they're extras in a TV program aren't they in a, in yeah. a lot of cases yeah poor form Ricky you want to uh, bring us away with the next item on the Thursday the club announced that they were using every player who has ever played for us a unique legacy number the numbers run sequentially based on the order the players made their first team debut our current players have their legacy number on the shirt just below the collar and above the squad number this must have been a pretty hard, huge undertaking well it would have been unless they'd phone Gareth and he could have just <laughs> all on the spreadsheet <laughs> well he's got, he could <laughs> spend the weekend <laughs> he's got the t- weekends at a time free he's got his Saturdays free hasn't he he could get on with it he could have done a great job a few lunch times for Gareth I suppose but um, uh, what do you think of this and did I ask is this, is this unique or have we borrowed this from NFL or baseball or anything like that I think Arsenal have done it um, and I think Thing. Not the answer I wanted. To Bristol, one of the Bristol clubs. There's a few other clubs that have done it, so it, right. no, it's not unique. But I think it's, I think it's great. I think it's, it's a nice thing. I think um, on the website where they've got the list of all the players going through and a little bio on all of them, and you know, a bit more on on all, you know some of the some of the better known ones. Um, it was great. I think I think it's a shame that they've got Sol Campbell there. I think it would be quite funny if they'd just put, <laughs> gone through all of them and just with him, just gone <laughs> not you, and then onto the next one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's great. A yeah, question for Fiji, because I, I genuinely don't know. If you buy the shirt with the player, the player's name and current number on the back, or even the number they had back in the day on the back, do you also then have to pay extra to have their legacy number at the top? Is that another extra few quid on the personalised shirt? I'm not being cynical. I'm just asking a genuine question. I've got no idea, but I'd, I'd say take a guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm not okay. sure if it's printed on or stitched on, but um, stitched on, I think it is. Is, it? is on, the, on the players' shirts? I think on the players', on the players shirts, players it is. Shirt. Yeah. Oh blimey, that would be that was a whole other level. Um, yeah. I suppose it could help with um, shirt authenticity of people of players are signing them or you know for charity and that kind of thing. It may be a help with that because if only the play, if only a player <laughs> who actually has that number ever has a shirt with that number on, as in you know members of the public can't and that, then maybe that makes it a bit more exclusive in that kind of sense. One thing I will say is, if you had asked me in a quiz how many players have ever played for Tottenham, I thought it would have been a lot more than that to be honest because it's only high yeah. high eight hundreds, isn't it? I yeah, I, I, I saw. Yeah, I saw some uh, people on social media talking about, you know, what's the furthest back? You know, what's the, what's the first player on that list that you can you can remember you've seen live? Oh, and cool. it was quite scary where people are kind of giving numbers. So say people are a little bit older than me, but giving numbers there, and they're kind of halfway through that list. And you think, you know, it's a club that's been around for, <laughs> yeah, not, know, not knocking on for knocking on for a, you know, well, we're coming up to you know, not far off 150 years now, are we? And yeah. and you're kind of halfway, you're halfway through that. You think, well, you know. Oh. 
<laughs> there are a few in that list who I would argue never really uh, played for us, uh, and there are also a few more. Yeah, they never really showed up for us, even if they wore the shirt. And there are also a few in there who are going to be delighted to have the word legacy next to their name. But that's going to happen. You're, you're. I can see you're, 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 uh, you're not happy with that comment, are you? No, you're just being peevish. It's a nice, nice, light-hearted item on the uh, on the uh, agenda, and then <laughs> you're gonna... getting all snipey about some of the players. Well, well, you are the expert you know... on peevishness, so yeah. I, 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 you know. I will take that from the peeve expert here. Okay, I will take that. I mean, is the Steph Steph edited list going to be forthcoming then? Is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, it won't be redacted, just like completely like. (laughs) Okay, well, so the way that this seems to have balanced out, we're at the Chelsea item. Uh, I don't know if I want to read this. Should I read it? I can read it for you if you want. Why don't you read it and ask so, the question? So, Potch has managed to hang around long enough to come back to White Hart Lane as Chelsea manager next Monday night. What kind of reception do you think we're going to give him? Um, I think, I don't know, I think he'll get a round of applause. I think we'll be all right. You think so? Yes, yeah. yeah, so a round of applause. I'm not saying we're going to sing his name or anything, but um, I think people are not, um, not, you know, Potch left a legacy here and we're kind of living a new legacy now that's helping us kind of, that's one thing I think it is helping, is that regardless of the pitch turnaround, I think um, I think Angie's kind of, like Potch was a bit of an old, like, sweetheart we had once upon a time and it ended when we didn't want it to end and we've held a bit of a flame for him and that kind of thing i think that's another thing that uh angie's slightly squeezing out in other words we, we those feelings for potch are kind of drifting away with the you know the rise of um the beautifulness of Ange being at the club i think um but i don't think that stops potch getting a round of applause and just you know i don't think we're going to be do you think we do you think his association with chelsea's going to like cloud that what do you think steph milo well, I'll answer this from two perspectives. I'll answer the question that was asked. Um, sadly, I do not think he's going to get a great reception. I think that we're in a society where people are absolutely ramped up and will go off on anything. And I think that there are going to be some some chippy, um, maybe even peevish supporters who are going to give it to him. Um, I'm firmly in your camp, Ricky. I think he should get a polite round of applause, but that's it. You know, we we it's and far be it for me to to say this, but I'm going to. You know, I love the man. I loved what he did for us. I love the legacy he left, but it's gone. It's done. It's done now. And as you quite rightly said, Ricky, it's a lot to do with what Ange has built here. Ange deserves the respect of the energy going in his direction, not in booing Potch. I think that just do be a complete waste of energy. I hope people don't, and I hope they do just a polite round of applause, and then we get on with it. And it's just another manager to beat. I think. I think firstly, I think fuck him, and if it's a giggle, I don't really care. Um, but I would be more inclined to sing about Ange at the top of my voice rather right. than anything to, you know, directed at him. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if um, if we were singing the Angels song with you know, slightly derogatory about him and other ex managers, isn't it? And then then leads into Ange. So I wouldn't be surprised if that came out. Um, yeah, I mean, he's gone to manage Chelsea. I hope we make the. I hope it's quite hostile, and and you know we make them feel uncomfortable. And I think and I think some of that will be giving him a bit of stick. Um, but yeah, my preference would be to sing about Ange, and you know it's a lot easier for us to get over Potch. Or you know this could have been really different, couldn't it? If we if he was coming back with them and they were riding high and we were you know carrying on from last season, then this would have been you know would have been awful. I think at the moment it's really easy for us, isn't it? Because we're doing great and they're. Yeah, a bit hit and miss. 
Yeah, but I think it's a lot more to do with with just doing great and they're hit and miss. I think it's because the culture of the club is going in a direction that we see long term life and long term yeah, future, and it's and it's so. I think that that you know the relative success or whatever of each club, even if we were below them in the table, I would still feel the same. Um, I'm interested in what you said though. So it's quite unlike you, uh, Milo, to be that um, sort of. I mean, that was almost a sort of a an aggressive fuck him. I mean, do you really feel that, or is that just you being cheeky? A bit of both. I mean, like, I think, like, I mean, I think the main thing, I think the main things about football that I look for, obviously, I want to, uh, you know, I want to watch us play good, attractive football. And then, you know, on the side of that, I want to have a laugh. I want to, you know, I want it to be fun. And I think, you know, if we can take the piss out of him and their situation with, you know, kind of wit and verve, then I'm all in favor of that. Hmm. You know, a hostile, like booing ex players or booing, you know, villains and stuff like that can be fun in a football ground. And, you know, he's gone to manage Chelsea. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't wish him any success. And, I, you know, I think we've got the best end of the deal because I think Ange is, is light years ahead of him as a manager. I'd much rather have Ange than Poch. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't mind if, the, if, there's, if on Monday it's a bit hostile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a hostile game anyway. That fixture's always going to be hostile, isn't it? Ricky, I'm interested in your perspective no, on that. No, I think, I, to be honest, I think if it was hostile in a kind of slightly derogatory way towards Poch, I wouldn't be surprised if Ange said something about it afterwards, yeah. given his affections for the game and supporting teams. And he'd be like a bit, give us a bit of a sideways glance, thinking, hold up, this this man really did turn things around for you at one point. Absolutely. To, like, to places that we haven't been close for for decades. But, um, uh, and it's easy, and it's easy for us to be a bit kind of, chipper about things because we're in you know we're in a kind of elevated position above Chelsea at the moment especially with the way they've gone about things themselves this season and the whole Bowley thing and and it looking a bit of a car crash there so we can lord it over them in that sense but um yeah I just yeah but I can't I don't necessarily buy into the um I, I'm just not one of these persons that thinks someone is dead to me once they've kind of moved yeah. over somewhere else I'm just I'm not one of those because if, if you think if people are dead to you when they're not then actually doing anything for you then you'll end up very lonely I think yeah i can't i can't get in on that i'm afraid i mean look hostility towards chelsea all day absolutely and we need to make that we need to make our stadium as as as, as buoy and like uncomfortable for their players as we possibly can from 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 one to, to you know if you count the bench 18 19 but the manager to me light round of applause um respect for what he did and we move on i i i personally don't think he deserves targeting that's just me i don't think he's going to get that though no you're right sadly well just one brief thing on Ange, though i think you've got to bear in mind that he's a manager who's you know managed in yeah. in glasgow you know in old firm games and he turned the heat up in old, ahead of old firm games so you know he's he's used to using that kind of atmosphere in order to try and get the best out of his team so you know he might obviously amongst managers you're not going to want to try and um, yeah, it's a club, isn't it? They're gonna they're gonna back each other, but I think in private, I think he'll be quite happy if we if we make the place pretty hostile and it makes it difficult for them. Yeah, yeah, hostility against Chelsea, I'm nothing against that. But uh, I, game, I personally definitely. hope that the the manager gets the respect he deserves for what he did for us. He did tremendous things, and I, I, I won't forget that. But it is all about Ange, and as you said, Milo, I, I think the energy should be directed into supporting this team and supporting this fantastic manager that we are so fortunate to have. Or taking the piss out of them and being really funny about it. If we can do that... <laughs> 
I don't know. Well, they... I mean, we we should see it as an opportunity to keep the old foot planted on their neck, really, because they keep, yeah. you know, they keep looking like there might be signs of life, and then they keep stumbling back down. So we definitely need to, you know, keep kicking yeah. them down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we will have another weekend off before we get to discussing that. Uh, thanks, lads. That was fun uh, today. Is it? A good old natter there. Uh, we'll be back on Monday next week uh, to discuss our game against... Uh, who was he again? <laughs> By that point, I think they'll be the third most... Um, third best team in West London, won't they? Because I think Fulham and Brentford are likely to be a- ahead of them by that point. I-, I was looking at the table and they there's quite a few clubs that could be above them. I mean, even Everton could be above them by that point. So, Goodness gracious. Um, that, is, that is a thought, isn't it? <laughs> Deary me, Everton above Chelsea. Anyway, we'll be recording straight after the final whistle, so expect it to drop sometime around midnight. Um, again, thanks, chaps. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Yes, and thank you all for joining us out there from all over the world, as uh, you always do. We appreciate it, and we'll see you uh, next Monday night.